1: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor.
2: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City here on the 19th day of December 2017. Uh before I talk more about today's show, let me remind you that I am the editor of J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And you can subscribe to my letter by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, or call us in New York during normal work hours at 718-457-1426. 718-457-1426. Also like to encourage you to consider subscribing to Chen Lin's excellent letter go to chenpix.com, chenpix.com. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel. And I also want to invite you to keep your comments, criticisms, praises, and whatever coming to Taylor at gmail.com, Taylor at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show, New Range Gold Corp, Montero Resources, RN Resources, Novo Resources, And Genesis Metals Corp. I've titled today's show, How to Protect Yourself Against America's Growing Mobocracy. Richard Mayberry, Daniel McAdams, and Michael Oliver return as guests uh, this week. Why has America turned from a country of compassion and individual liberty with limited government where we were free to be the unique individuals God created us to be to a nation with a government that is not only rapidly removing our individual liberties but is also intruding and removing the sovereign rights of other nations to govern themselves why was it that former chase manhattan chairman david rockefeller said that he is proud to conspire against the united states what is our future likely to look like what about the future rights written into the u.s constitution that guaranteed us the right to think work act and worship god if we so choose you know, I'm 70 years old now, but I can't remember a time in my life that there were more there were more divisions, more divisiveness in this country than than we see now. Not even during the Vietnam era when I was a young man was the venom venom poured out from all directions more severe than what I think we're seeing right now. Will the recent direction of events continue on the same path or is there some hope for a return toward the basic rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that our founding fathers risked their lives to give us. Those are some questions that we will ask Daniel and Richard Mayberry later in the show. Then uh, in the last segment today, we're going to get to Michael Oliver. Michael's usually with us in the first segment, but this week it seemed best to have him at the end of the show. Well, he'll give us an update on his latest momentum work for the dollar, debt, equity markets, as well as gold and silver. But now I'm really pleased to say that Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity is with me again. Daniel uh, had been a pretty regular member of our, uh, a guest of our show for quite a few, for quite a a few years, actually. Um, And then, I guess, various things have come up. It hasn't worked out as well uh, from this end, but I have always revered his work. He's working with Dr. Ron Paul. He was uh, previously uh, the advisor to Ron on foreign affairs and uh, uh, foreign policy. Uh, and now he's working with Ronald, uh, with Dr. Ron Paul, every day uh, at the uh, RonPaulInstitute.org, where he uh, he and Dr. Paul put on a daily TV show in which they uh, discuss uh, issues of the day, geopolitical issues of the day that are very, very important, and and information there that you just don't get from the mainstream. Daniel, I want to thank you very much for joining me today.
3: Jay, it's so good to be back with you. It's been a while. It's re-
2: it's It's been a while. It's been regrettably too long. Uh, the, this show tries to focus more directly on investments and uh, not less important as what you do, for sure, but more directly relevant, I guess, uh, to putting food on our table uh, might be what we do. Uh, but I, I just would like to have more time with you. But uh, the time we have, so let me stop babbling. Um, you know, all of your knowledge on foreign policy, that's what you've done for quite a few years. What do you and Dr. Paul make of all these allegations from Democrats uh, about Ron, uh, about Donald Trump's collusion with Russia? I mean, they're trying to say, and they've been trying to say, that that's the reason Hillary Clinton lost the presidency. But can you give us a bigger picture? What, how do you, you and Dr. Paul see what's going on in Washington now from maybe domestically as well as geopolitically, internationally?
3: Yeah, well, I, I can only speak for myself, but, you know, the, the question I always have is what exactly are they accusing the Donald Trump campaign of doing? What exactly are they accusing the Russians of doing? Uh, mm-hmm. It never comes out. Uh, uh, you know, it comes down to the ridiculous things like they took out some Facebook ads. Uh, well, most of those were taken up after the election. Uh, you know, so, so they never really tell us who did what. How, how did the Russians convince the voters of Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and the other surprise states that went for Trump—how did the Russians convince these blue-collar workers to vote for Trump over Hillary? There's just simply no answer for it. So, you know, the Democrats got a candidate. A lot of America got a, got a president that they don't like. Well, you know, welcome to being grown up. It happens. It's happened to you and I, Jay, for most of our lives. Uh, yeah. Instead of uh, putting forth a, a better policy and saying this would work better, or here's a different idea. They've they've sunk to this level of McCarthyism, that is just outrageous.
2: It's, it seems to be outrageous. Uh, although you know, if you turn on any any most of the mainstream channels, they'll tell you why they're you know why anybody that contested is out, are, is the are the outrageous ones.
3: Well, you know, there was collusion uh, around the Trump campaign, but that collusion was from the deep state. As we're seeing more and more with the struck memos and uh, this other fellow whose wife worked for the company that was involved in the dossier, this FBI guy, the collusion was the deep state doing its very best to prevent Donald Trump from becoming president because they were terrified at what he was saying on the campaign trail about changing U.S. foreign policy. And that's the real story here. Nobody wants to focus on, but thankfully the alternative media – uh, is keeping is digging at this, digging at this, and more and more is coming out every single day about the real collusion.
2: Daniel, when you talk about the deep state, um, I guess that transcends party lines, doesn't it? I mean, it would be you might be talking about neocons, no matter which party they're, they're, they reside in.
3: Well, it's the permanent party, Jay. <laughs> the yeah. permanent party, the people who are in power no matter what, and they're in the FBI as we see. Uh, they're also in the CIA. Talk about people like James Clapper and others. They're in the NSA. Uh, some of them are probably in the DIA, but certainly CIA, NSA, FBI. This is the deep state, and they did collude, they have colluded, to try to delegitimize uh, the election, delegitimize President Trump. And uh, that really is the real story. We're seeing smoking guns going off everywhere where there's not even a whiff of smoke on the Russiagate story after, what, well over a year of investigation. You'd think we'd see something by now if there was something there.
2: Yeah, the way the leaks were coming out from every which direction, you would think there would be something out by now, huh? Um, Something concrete, yeah yeah Daniel. um when we last talked um when you were last on the show, things were going on in the Ukraine and then Syria. Um, how do you think how have things changed under the Trump presidency, if at all? Because when he was running for president, of course he he talked about you know downsizing NATO. He talked about the no reason to be in all these different countries around the world. and there was some reason for hope that maybe the United States would pull back a bit from around the world, the Ukraine, Syria, and all of that. But what do you make of the, of the geopolitical stance of the United States now, globally, and in particular, perhaps, in the Middle East?
3: Well, you know, candidate Trump really had his fingers on the pulse of the American people. You know, he's, had, he's made his career understanding uh, what the average people like and appreciate Uh, And he really hit on the head that Americans are sick of all these wars, they're sick of the conflicts, they're sick of being involved in the Middle East, they're sick of uh, the confrontation toward Russia, and he just tapped it right on the head. And, you know, we had uh, my old friend uh, 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 Jim Jatris on our show the other day, and he was a a Trump supporter, and he said, I still like to imagine that there's a candidate Trump hidden inside President Trump's body trying to get out. So that's probably the most optimistic thing, but he certainly sounded great on the, cam- on the campaign trail. Was he lying then? Did the deep state take over? Did he not pay enough attention as the neocons weaned their way in? It's really hard to know, but we do know that the neocons really are consolidating their power uh, around the president, and he seems powerless. If he is opposed to them, and I do believe he is not a neocon, but if he is opposed to them, he's, he's just simply not able to break free.
2: Right. It might be lethal if, he, if the real Donald Trump emerges.
3: If that's the, the case, le- if yeah. he is opposed to these people and he breaks through, you know, uh, I mean, <laughs> we've seen what, what, what can happen when you challenge the CIA. Let's just put it that way.
2: Yeah, indeed. Uh, Daniel, you know, our theme today is this loss of liberty that, we've, uh, that I know you and Dr. Paul talk about frequently on your show, if not every day, if not almost all the time. The loss of liberty, and I'd like to explore the the connection between uh, our foreign policy and the policies uh, of you know we're we're seeing obviously the um, the deep state is is able to to spy on us all the time if they want to get information on Jay Taylor I don't suppose I'm that important but if I were they could certainly dig it up in a nanosecond I guess um, and. But do you do you see any connection between all of this, all of this animus that, that we see against Trump, uh, a blowback perhaps against Trump for his talk about wanting to pull back from these from this foreign policy? But do you see any connection between all this anger, the propaganda perhaps that is being spewed out against Trump? I mean, how? It, it seems to me like the average person doesn't really think very far with respect to whether the Russians have done anything or not. It's just simply, if you're a Democrat, you believe it. If you're something else, you might not. But do you see a connection between the loss of liberty at home, I guess is what I'm trying to ask you, and our foreign policies abroad?
3: Well, certainly there is definitely a case. When you militarize your foreign policy, when you weaponize your foreign policy, when you have a sense in your mind that we are at war, we're a nation at war, we're constantly at war, we bring that war mentality back home. And you see it in the militarization of the police forces here at home. Uh, You see it in the the very vicious drug war here at home. Uh, And you see it in uh, in the streets, in, in, in different demonstrations. So there is a militarization of our society that is a byproduct of having a foreign policy that everywhere it goes, it's these dragons that need to be slayed. And uh, that's a real danger. And it re- you're right, Jay, it is destroying us from within on so many levels. Hmm. Yeah, I
2: mean, how can we, uh, of course, uh, Richard Mayberry, who's my guest in the next segment just a few minutes from now, Richard has talked in the past about how there was you know, a lot of the Bill of Rights or protection that was given to American citizens, but our government never saw the need to to apply the same protections to other people, and then certainly it seems to be against the Declaration of Independence that talked about our rights and where they come from, our rights to be free, to be who uh, who we were, who we were created to be, to be individuals instead of uh, puppets of the state. Um, and um, you know, I just just it just seems to me very inconsistent that. You know that that if we're going to do that kind of stuff overseas, it's going to come back to get us here too, and it certainly seems to be the case. But you know, you're, uh Ron Paul, who you work with, is the uh, is a consummate optimist. He's always believing uh, that that maybe things can turn around. So, Daniel, within 30 seconds or so, what what are your thoughts on that? Is is I mean, obviously, you have hope, or you wouldn't be out there working every day, you and Dr. Paul, doing what you're doing.
3: Well, that's the reason that he founded the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity was that we're not going to change Washington by electing a couple of good people. You know, that's mm-hmm. not going to work. We're going to change things by educating the American people, teaching them that there are alternatives, uh, and, and instilling in them really the fight for liberty. It's the passion for liberty to restore a free republic of, of individuals, and that is the key. And we are optimistic, but it's a long road, you know, an educational process it's a very long road ahead, and that's why we're working twice as hard. <laughs> yeah,
2: you work. You, you, and, and Dr. Paul and others, a part of the Ron Paul Institute, do work very hard. A lot of really good people there. I just like to uh, tell my listeners: it's uh, ronpaulinstitute.org. Go there every day. Dr. Paul and Daniel do a do an interview, a, a discussion of some geopolitical event of the of the day that's very very important. And also, um, this, is a, uh, th- this is a non-profit organization that's uh, ronpaul.org, and so I would really like to, um, to request those of you who are sympathetic with the efforts of uh, peace and prosperity that Dr. Paul and Daniel are, are working so hard for, uh, you might consider giving a tax-free donation to the ronpaulinstitute.org. Go there in any event and learn uh, to know what they're talking about and follow the excellent work of, of both of these men. Thank you, Daniel, so much for being with us. Uh, we do have to do it more often. It's great to have Thank you again. You Jake. Thanks, so folks. Much. Don't go. Bye bye. You, you're welcome, if folks. Don't go away. Richard Mayberry will be with us right after the break.
4: Over $200 million.
0: New Range Gold Corps is a Canadian junior explorer focused on its recently acquired flagship, Pamlico Gold Project, located in Nevada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. Known as one of Nevada's highest-grade gold districts, Pamlico was held by private interests for most of its history and remains largely unexplored. Drilling by New Range is already confirming the legendary grades of the district with intercepts up to 341 grams gold per tonne. Well financed with no debt, new ranges unlocking shareholder value at Pamlico and trades under TSX symbol NRG.
3: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor.
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me once again Richard Mayberry. And as most of you know, Richard is the author of Richard Mayberry's U.S. and World Early Warning Report. It's a monthly newsletter that I look for enthusiastically every month to get because there's always unique ideas and uh, investment ideas as well as a, a perspective of where our country is. Uh, because, you know, in order to understand where we are today, you need to know something about the history, and I don't know of anybody who knows American history better uh, than Richard Mayberry. Richard, thank you so much for being with us today again.
4: Oh, I always enjoy it, Jay, and incidentally, thank you so much for being one of the very few people out there in front of the public who actually understands the system of liberty and believes in it and tries to defend it. Um, I wish there were a thousand like you.
2: Yeah, I wish we didn't have to think that we had to go around and beat the hell out of everybody around the world in order to to remain safe here in America. Wouldn't it be nice if we kind of decided to uh, just protect our own borders, perhaps, if somebody intrudes on us instead of us intruding on others all the time? I mean, this is part of what I was just talking to Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute of Peace and Prosperity about. And also, I know that you've talked in the past about the uh... the founding fathers were keen to protect our liberties at the start at least they were keen to protect our liberties domestically but they didn't care too much about what we might have done overseas and i my question to daniel was uh... don't you think that might have something to do with our loss of liberty domestically here if we're going around the country i mean the whole blowback thing that ron paul talked about nine eleven the reason they're over here is because we're over there i mean i think you probably believe there's something to that
4: oh absolutely um... And I'm speaking from experience, too. Uh, I was in three of the federal government's uh, foreign wars. Uh, they were in Central America in the 1960s, and I saw what uh, we were doing. You know, I was in the Air Force, and uh, I was part of um, the the attempt to wipe out uh, various groups down there that um, were the enemies of the dictators that Washington was backing uh-huh. And, uh, and, it, and it's awful that uh, the Americans just don't know. Um, in, in Central and South America, for instance, what was going on in the U.S., or what became the U.S. back in the 1800s, uh, extermination of the American Indians, is still going on south of the border from all the way down to Tierra del Fuego. Those governments are still fighting the Indians and uh-huh. there are Indian tribes down there that we helped to massacre when I was in the Air Force. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it's an outrageous thing, but but nobody tells Americans what the federal government really does overseas.
2: Yeah, and that's so that's that's so uh, alien to the to the spirit of the Declaration of Independence and and our Constitution. But you know, Richard, I'd like to review a little bit. Have you um, talk to our listeners a little bit today? Uh, about history and about the beginning days of our of our was a republic now it's an empire uh... It was never supposed to be a democracy as you point out mm-hmm. but before we go any further it's an early if i didn't tell you that folks and uh... and be sure to consider subscribing to to uh, uh... to richard's letter because it's just absolutely excellent in terms of giving perspective now i'm gonna let him tell you a little bit about what's in his december letter especially with regard to the early days of our republic. Talk to us, Richard, a little bit about the Articles of Confederation, starting with that point in time. What did our country look like then? And then uh, as as uh, the next several years unfolded, talk to us about what happened.
4: Okay. There was uh, an America uh, long before there was a federal government. Um, <clears throat> the the so-called British colonies that were established here in were called America um, existed for centuries before the federal government did it wasn't the federal government that created America uh, America already existed these what became the state governments uh, were the government of America back then and um, when the revolution broke off or broke out, the Americans were um, looking for a way to throw their government out of America, uh, throw the British government out, because they were British. They, they, mm-hmm. they were trying to get rid of it. It was a rebellion, a revolution to get rid of their government. Well, they decided to set up their own new government, which was the Articles of Confederation, and um, that carried them through the revolution, got the job done. Uh, and it was a really tough job. <laughs> yeah. So, so the Articles of Confederation worked pretty well. Um, but um, the, when the revolution was over, the uh, people like um, James Madison, John Jay, uh, Alexander Hamilton, who are called today, they're called the Federalists, um, they realized that the state governments had become too democratic and they were a threat to liberty. And we're taught today that democracy and liberty are the same thing. But there's nothing, nothing is further from the truth. Democracy uh-huh. and liberty are opposites. And if you think about it, you can see it. How can a minority be free if the majority can decide their fate? Right. So... Um, the, the Federalists understood that and they were afraid that the system of liberty was being undermined by democracy, and their solution was to lay another layer of government on top of the state governments to try to create a balance of power so that there would be something holding those state governments down and keeping them from, from, uh, being uh, democratic enough to ruin everything. Mm -hmm. So um, they demanded um, a, or I guess you'd say maybe requested, a new uh, constitutional convention be started in 1887 Mm -hmm. to make some changes to the Articles of Confederation. But what actually happened was they simply overthrew the entire existing structure. Um, They... Uh, they had George Washington come in. He was probably the most popular person in the country and uh, promised him that, uh, you know, if you take part in this, you get to be president. So Washington did, and the Army backed Washington, and the, um, the Constitutional Convention come out, came out with what's called the Constitution that we think about today. That Constitution was a military coup, it's never painted that way by the yeah. government-controlled schools. But yeah. essentially, the, the Federalists pulled off a military coup and put George Washington, General Washington, in charge of the new government. And, and that government did have the effect of um, squashing a lot of the power of the states. It mm-hmm. worked the way they wanted it to, maybe not perfectly, but it sure did paralyze the states and and keep them from being too tyrannical, too too much mob rule. Yeah, it worked really great, you know, for a long time. Um, but essentially, the the people who are uh, interested in political power, the the power junkies in the country, eventually got control of the federal government and. Um, so we have this monster that we have today that is very heavily socialist um, that, that has almost unlimited power over us. Uh, we're all afraid of it. I mean, any rational person is scared to death of the federal government because it has essentially unlimited power. I listened to a little bit of your interview um, a few minutes ago, and uh, I think you pointed out that, that uh, the NSA and all these other agencies um, they can they can just get into your life anytime they want and do whatever they want with you. And um, you, you essentially um, have very little rights left as an American. All you have is permissions, which is not the same thing. You don't have a right to freedom of the speech. You have permission to speak. You don't have a right to freedom of the press. You have permission to publish and so on. And those permissions can be revoked at any time they want to scream national emergency. So um, this is no longer America, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah. The work, work of the founders has been undone over the last 200 years. And, and this is no longer the America that it was for, for, let's say, the whole 19th century and a little bit of the 20th century. We've got a government... That is the most powerful ever seen on earth. And uh, the founders would be terrified of it. I mean, uh, they'd be scared out of their minds. They'd all be leaving, I think, and going somewhere else.
2: We make, it, we make King George look like a pussycat.
4: Yeah, that's really true. Uh, one thing that, that Americans are not taught in the government-controlled schools is that the federal government meddles in every other country. There is no country on this planet that the U.S. government does not meddle in. And my, you know, my researchers and I, we spent months one time working on this, trying to find a country where the U.S. government doesn't meddle in their politics. And there simply is none. Um, and, and most of that is what's called foreign aid. Mm-hmm. When the federal government pours money into some country, What it's doing is subsidizing the government of that country because that enables the people who are already in power to say during the next election, hey, you better vote for me. Look at all this largesse that I got from the the Americans. Well, if you want that money to keep flowing, you better vote for me. So foreign aid, which goes to practically every country still um, these days, uh, is really a way of rigging other people's elections
2: so we rig other people's elections keep the people in control that our that our leaders want to have in control does that get then perhaps some commercial rights that we wouldn't otherwise have perhaps intruding in their own economies such that our corporations might get a leg up on on their own and and or what what there's got to be something more than just power are you I know you're you're big about the power junkie thesis I mean that's really what you think is going on to a great extent. But there's probably a lot of other things, too, economic things that, that come into play as well, I would guess.
4: Oh, sure. Um, once you've got a, a center of power where people have the ability to, to essentially ruin you, then you had better be a friend of those people. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a lesson that goes back thousands of years in history. Whatever government is in power, if it's very powerful then you've got to be a friend of that government. You've got to somehow influence that government or they're coming after you. So, um, you know, every big corporation has learned this. Uh, I think most wealthy individuals have learned it. It's just a fact of life. If you study enough history, you realize that to be without connections in Washington is to be in a high-risk condition. So it... It, it is true that they once they've got their connections they use them to milk the taxpayers and do all sorts of other things that have more money flowing in their direction but I've never met a business person who likes being hooked into Washington it's it's uh, you know like 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 Trump says it's a swamp nobody yeah. wants to wade through that swamp and business people generally hate it but they're forced to do it and once they're in there they just take advantage of whatever opportunities arise. Right,
2: once they're in there, the big guys can comply with the regulations and stuff too, which is so it has its winnowing effect getting rid of the uh, less competitive or the smaller uh, investors getting rid of competition too, so it has that effect too, I would argue, oh, yeah. against our free yep, markets, for, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Richard, I'd like to ask you, um, going back to this, What what in, I'm sure you've given some thought to this, being the historian you are. But what if we had kept the Articles of Confederation? Would have that been better, in your view?
4: Yeah, uh, definitely. For one thing, uh, the Articles of Confederation um, relied um, almost entirely on uh, militias for the defense of the country. And the militia, a good working definition, is people between the ages of eighteen and fifty. Um, who uh, are your ordinary citizens walking down the street every day but they're trained as soldiers and they're equipped as soldiers they're organized as soldiers and if the country is in danger they will turn out and defend the country it was it was mostly those militias that won the American Revolution
2: uh-huh.
5: um,
4: Washington and, and the federal government or and the the uh, Okay, what was it called? Anyhow, Washington and his army um, were uh, given most of the credit, but actually the militias did most of the real work, and and the Articles of Confederation relied on that. Well, militias can't be used to march off to somebody else's country and invade Mm -hmm. somebody else's country because Mm -hmm. they're the people that are growing the crops and doing all of the other important stuff. Yeah. So so it's a, it's a fantastic system. It's wonderful for defense. Um and and it can't be used to get into other people's wars. If if you don't believe me, study the history of Switzerland because I they was gonna have say that yeah. system.
2: Yep. That's their system. So we had to start with 13 colonies, 13 countries essentially. Yes. And then we got, and each of those would have had their own militia. And if one tried to attack another, or I suppose if there was an outside power, like if England come in to try to take back their 13 colonies, they would have come together probably to protect themselves.
4: Yeah. But, uh, um, early in the Revolution, some of Patrick Henry's speeches were devoted to exactly that, saying uh, the, the people... Uh, in um, Massachusetts, for instance, were already fighting the government, and we people in Virginia had got to help them. And, and his, his his speeches were successful in rallying all of these militias to, to go help the people in the North fight off the government.
2: All right, Richard, we, we're going to be running out of time before we know it here. I want to ask you about some economic things. I have to th- ask you, you know, I've, I've been around long enough to, I was, you know, a young man, admittedly, when we still had a gold standard. But Mm -hmm. if we had retained uh, some sort of semblance of honest money instead of this fraudulent monetary system that we have now where money is created out of nothing and then used to redistribute wealth to the people that create it and control it, Washington, the bankers, Mm -hmm. we could have avoided a lot of the problems we're in today, though. I think you would agree with that, probably.
4: Oh, definitely. Uh, It would have been impossible for the government to go into countries all over the world and make more enemies for us because they would have had to pay cash on the barrelhead.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. Or taxes for it. The Americans wouldn't have yeah. liked that too much.
4: Right. So right. it's the subterfuge of inflation, the ability to to essentially counterfeit dollars that enables them to do an awful lot of this intervention in other countries, getting involved in other countries Uh, political situations and then getting us into wars um i think uh you know gold is absolutely essential for real defense because people aren't going to turn out uh to defend their country unless they're really really sure of it the government can't go hiring a professional military because it can't afford it unless there really is a, a big um a big threat that the people are willing to get behind and and uh or, or, you know, organized to to go after.
2: Yeah, honest money would would bring about honest uh, geopolitical policies, policies uh, domestically and overseas, I would argue. Well, uh, we don't have gold. We have money that's being created uh, infinitely, uh, Mm -hmm. massive amounts of it. The debt, the country's in in a horrible position, notwithstanding a stock market that is going up. When we really look at the reality of it, Richard, you and I believe, I think I'm safe in saying you believe, that we're in big trouble. And one of the things you talk about that most Austrian school economists don't talk about so much is velocity. And I noticed in your latest letter, you are ramping up a little bit at least, the velocity. That is the, the, the loss of loss of confidence in the money It causes people to turn the money over to buy things, not to hoard it, not to sit on it both domestically and internationally what did you see or what are you seeing now that causes you to think that we're having a pickup in velocity which should result or will result all, all other things being equal in higher prices what are you seeing now that has you a little bit concerned about velocity
4: um, both the price of real estate and the price of stocks mm-hmm. uh, together Um, we've got two really big booms going on there. There's money flowing into those markets. Well, where is it coming from? It's the money that the federal government printed back there, um, you know, starting in, I guess, 2009 or so. Um, For years and years, they were printing money like crazy to try to um, uh, undo the, the disorganization that Federal Reserve policy had created they're trying to prop up things that were trying to go broke because they shouldn't have been created in the first place. Um, so they uh, they have we now have all of that money that's been printed up, which was mostly sitting in the banks. It's coming out, and it's going into real estate and stocks. Um, we are told by the news media and the government that when the government creates money, It just descends on the economy in a uniform blanket, and everybody gets some share of it. Well, it's not true. It goes into specific locations, and the specific locations right now that it's going into are real estate and stocks. And I think what you're seeing there is people are starting to unload the dollars that they don't trust very much, and they're buying things that they trust more, which is real estate and, and stocks. They believe Around the world, people are pouring money into the United States because they believe that um, they'd rather own something real than this paper trash that these these governments uh, put out so I think actually you know we're we're much closer to a runaway inflationary boom than anybody really realizes uh, mm-hmm. when you keep seeing the the stock market going up like it has been um, that you know that one way to look at it is that stocks are going up, but actually, I think it's a picture of money going down. Right, that's right,
2: and and I think that's that's the reason you need to own real money, uh, gold and and silver and that sort of thing. You mentioned also, with just a few seconds left here, that platinum is on a tear now, Richard. Palladium, or palladium, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, there's a, I think there's a shortage of palladium coming out of Russia and and other uh, other suppliers, South Africa and so forth. But it's you know, again, I think that though the velocity side of the demand side may be part of what's going on. I'm noticing also in my inflation deflation watch, which I have in my newsletter almost while well, I keep track of it every week, that we're seeing a breakout in inflation as well. And that that includes stocks and bonds and commodities as well. So I I, I didn't find it surprising. I'm much in agreement. My gut feel is that we are heading for Uh, uh, some inflation. And and because the money is turning over, people are saying they're not sure they want to hold this uh, worthless paper, as you say. Again, I know there's so much more to talk to you about. Uh, Your investment strategies, uh, defense stocks for sure have been on a tear. You've done very, very well. You point out in your newsletter that, uh, and you point out names and things too, uh, different companies that you talk about from time to time that have done extremely well. Uh, We've had discussions before about defense stocks and the morality of uh, why it's not Immoral, from your point of view, to hold those uh, stocks of, of companies that kill people. Uh, that's a discussion for another day. But you you do provide some good rationale for that, for sure. Uh, and and I know that you you really keep track of these things. You provide good concrete ways for people to protect themselves, their wealth, and their families. So I would suggest very strongly people go to earlywarningreport.com, learn more about Richard's work. Uh, we'll try to have him on this show now and then uh, once a month if possible Richard thank you so much for being with us again we do have to go now okay uh, it's been great again Uh, we'll look to do it again sometime soon thank you very Mm -hmm. much all right folks well don't go away we're going to be right back with Michael Oliver after the break Uh, Michael's got some uh, things to tell us about stocks and bonds gold for sure so don't go away we'll be right back with Michael Oliver
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America.
0: Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Novo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. Bonterra Resources, a Canadian exploration company, is aggressively expanding its high-grade Gladiator Gold deposit in Quebec, Canada. In 2017, Bonterra raised $40 million that attracted strategic investors Eric Sprott, Kinross, Kirkland Lake Gold, and New York-based Vanek Gold Fund. Bonterra is focused on updating its 43-101 resource model in 2018 and will incorporate up to an additional 100,000 plus meters of drilling where the dimensions of the Gladiator Gold Deposit has been expanded to date nearly 500%. Bonterra trades in Canada under the symbol BTR and in the U.S. under B-O-N-X-F. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
2: Welcome back to Trading Hard Times and the Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Michael Oliver. He's usually with us the first segment, but today I decided to have him on at the end of the show, given the content of the first two segments with, uh, uh, with Daniel and, um, uh, and, and with Richard Mayberry. Uh, Michael, uh, thanks for joining me again. Glad to be back, Jay. Um, I'm clear enough, uh, I'm on my cell phone now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I understand, but you sound pretty good uh okay. Okay. for now. So um OliverMSA.com, folks, OliverMSA.com. You hear it from us every week and uh whenever whenever Michael's on, uh you should hear it from us when he's not on too because he does such good work. Um Michael, in one of your recent weekend misses you warned the long dated US bonds, the Jap Japanese bonds, German boons. That they're all in, looking like they're in some big trouble in 2018. You, mm-hmm. you're, seeing it, you're seeing it that way still oh, yeah, right?
5: Absolutely yeah, no it's, when I have uh, when you look at a price chart of those bonds, uh, German, Japanese and ours, um, you don't quite see the vulnerability. but when you look at a momentum chart, an annual momentum chart going back a decade or so, you really see the structural vulnerability and the numbers are going to jump. Uh, in January. Uh, as of 2018, the three year average is going to move up, which puts the annual momentum structures that we see uh, in dire straits. Um, in other words, our current price level is going to be threatened uh, by the rising three year average, what, such that the momentum chart is going to likely break down next year, highly likely. Uh, in fact, the bonds are in a default position. In other words, where they are right now is <laughs> unacceptable. When they open January, because if they close anywhere, close out the month of January, anywhere around where they are, now they blow out massive support structures. And the JGB is the most egregiously manipulated bond in the world, uh, maybe other than the Italian bonds, uh, are, uh, one point away, and they're just below 151. They can't close out a month much below 150 next year. Uh, they break down. So, um, Actually, we expect, uh, on a breakdown, meaning a rise in rates, that the Japanese and the Germans will outpace us in terms of the snap effect uh, of a trend change, uh, because we weren't quite so egregiously manipulated as they were, and therefore, when it comes unwound, uh, the one that was the beach ball that was pushed more underwater than it was, should have been will come rushing more up out of the water more rapidly, <laughs> if you mm-hmm. follow what I'm saying. Uh, so yeah, I think it's an inevitability. I think 2018, you break the bonds. Now, and that's going to have an impact. It may be delayed, but it's going to have an impact on stocks because we're not looking for a minor move in rates. We're looking for something that's substantial.
2: Um, All right what what I'll do also, we need to What do we oh, need to see now on the S and P, Michael, to uh, to cause you uh, concern yeah. on the downside? Well, on the S and I'm particularly yesterday.
5: I got very excited. I was looking at the Nasdaq a lot of because uh, see Nasdaq's been the leader. Nasdaq 100, in particular, I'm talking about, is full of those fang stocks, and they're heavily weighted on the front end. And it and actually the Dow, which is quite interesting, because here you have a blue chip index as opposed to loaded with the Fang stocks, although it does have them in there, has uh, really outpaced the S and P. Mm. Look at a Dow industrial stock, uh, just the price chart going back years, ten years or so, is far more in accelerated blow off mode than the S and P is. It looks more like a Nasdaq 100, and those two are very close to levels such that if you pick up just a little bit a couple percent from where you are right now. You're going to unleash them on the downside, I would say, to the tune of about 10 percent, very rapidly. Now, admittedly, you could get that kind of drop. I'm not looking for a crash. I think if you're going to go into a bear market, I think you're going to go into it in in layers uh, with jolts, but not, not all you know. You're not going to drop 25 30%. I don't foresee that. I see a, a bear market coming. I see blow-off tops, particularly in the NASDAQ 100 and in the Dow, when you have blow-off markets, vertical markets, that move out above angles of descent that had previously defined the market's rise. In other words, it might have been a certain degree angle for 5, 10 years, and then suddenly you go through the top of that channel mm-hmm. and go vertical. That kind of behavior is indicative of the end of a trend. Now, if that behavior occurred early in a bull trend, that's different. But if it occurs five, six, seven years into a bull trend, you get blow-off action. You can count the months. It's, it's going to end. It's the way markets terminate with the, mm-hmm. the, you know, unusual excess and eagerness to own it, mm-hmm. and uh, when those come unwound, they really come unwound, um, and that's what it looks like we're doing here. Is we've had a blow off in uh, the Nasdaq 100, the Fang stocks, and in the Dow Industrials, and uh, yeah. it won't take much to uh, really unwind them.
2: So and you have. The same a, time, good. Good. You, you, so you have a rising interest rate environment here in these sovereign risk. Uh, bonds. You would think that the governments are going to do what they can to try to. Well, sure. No. Uh, what, what, we what can that. they but do? On the you... other
5: hand, you know, there's a reality out there, and and just like in you know nature, there's a reality that you can't yeah. break its rules forever. Where you'll you suffer. Well, in right. markets, there's a reality too. Sometimes it can be delayed by central banks, and right now it's been distorted and delayed for a decade. Uh, we've had yeah. QEs out the yin yang, and uh, it's it, it's created an unreality and a lot of Causal effect relationships that come from that, that businessmen make business decisions, investors make the decisions, households make decisions based on certain factors, such as the level of interest rates. Well, if that, that's a false reality that you've based all your decisions on, then many of your decisions and the consequences thereof are not going to be what you thought they were because right. if those rates shift because they were unreal, then all kinds of things get upset. Um, you know, plans and and so forth, corporate, uh, personal, and government. There's a point at which central banks simply can't fight reality. They've distorted it too much that the snap effect is, is, it ambushes them. And I frankly, I'm not sure they're really ready for it. I'm I'm not, they're all sure that they're aware of what they're facing uh, at all in terms of the unwinding effect.
2: Well, they certainly don't want us to think they're unaware or that they're not ready. Well, that's, that's for right. sure. So maybe a lot of it is just posturing what they're saying. Uh, they're, you know, That's a little propaganda, I suppose. But in any event, uh, it, it certainly would seem to me that in a rising interest rate environment, that that couldn't be terribly bullish. Or shouldn't be terribly bullish, one would think, uh, for the commodities. Yet you're pretty mm-hmm. bullish on the commodities, especially oh, yeah. the soft commodities. I believe heading into 2018, yeah. right?
5: The, the grains and the meats, in particular, which were not players over the last year and a half. They, all they did is lay. You know, they laid at their lows. Uh, there were, uh, in fact, a negative impact on the, let's say, the, the Bloomberg or the CRB index. Uh, and I think they're about to have an uprising, just like the bonds are going to have a downrising. Uh, the structures are equal and opposite the other way on grains, for example, and even cattle. That uh, they're basically all you have to do is hiccup up a percent or two higher than you are now in those markets. And I'm going to blow out the top end of basing patterns on so an annual momentum to go back uh, much as five years. So it looks like a, both a food commodity inflation will come suddenly, in a rush, and therefore be surprising. And, uh, at the same time, what we think is a controlled market, the bond market, is going to come on, un- begin to come unhinged. And I think the shock effect of that will cause, again, investor asset reallocation. And the investors have, are big players in this. You know, they have they bought into the QE stuff. It worked. It feels good. It's, it still feels good. It feels static right now, uh, particularly U.S. market. Uh, and therefore, you, it's just like the Bitcoin. It's inducing, you know, irrational behavior and uh, right. untested ground and, and emotions. And when that comes unwound, it's uh, chaotic.
2: All right, it, Michael, it one minute left. Yeah. Uh, we've only got about a minute left. We haven't touched on gold yet. It seems like your 1245 line in the sand to go neutral might hold again. What do you think the odds are yeah, for no, it?
5: I, I think so. Uh, and this is the third time since December last year, then July of this year, and then again recently. I didn't want to see a certain number violated, in this case on a weekly closing basis. So I didn't want to see it close under 1245. Right. We suggested maybe go to neutral if that happened or, or hedge with uh, GLD puts to go out to February. You don't need much time on this because the vulnerability window is short, I think. But they've rallied 20 some dollars or 30 off the recent low. We're at 1262. Uh, I think if you close the month out of much above about 1263, that's a solid sign that you've seen the low. There's also a trigger level that isn't just solid sign. It's, a, it's like breaking through a hurdle up around 1283 on a weekly close. I think you're going to launch back into the 1300s again. So right now we're 1262 basically on the on the spot contract. And it's looking steady. Uh, and the dollar is also getting weak again.
2: Yeah, uh, I noticed. Uh, yeah. The dollar is getting weak. And um, what, what, what about silver? We still have another minute left. Could oh, you comment on real. silver?
5: It, it's. It's a sloppy child. Um, I I still think silver will outpace gold once you get the thing really moving, once you get the engine rolling in gold. Right now, we've we've warmed it up over the last year and a half. Is basically what gold's done. I think silver, uh, I can give you a number. It's basically up in the 1860s, which seems a long way. But We've been there a couple times in the last few years. You go there again, you're going to run hard. There's a massive breakout level in annual momentum, a secondary level. If you see about uh, 1865, you should just launch big time. And at that point, I would expect silver to sort of sort of leave gold behind in the dust on a percent basis.
2: All right. Well, I I do want to talk to you about uh, your outlook for for 2018. We'll probably do it next week or the or the great. following week if you're available. But yep. uh, thank you again, Michael. Always a pleasure to have you with us, and and you have uh, such great insights. And my confidence grows every time you name one of these lines in the sand that's not defined, not not the not uh, uh, penetrated. So I. I you know, uh, all I can say is the reason you're on every week is because my confidence continues to grow in your uh, in your calls. So thank you so much for sharing your time well, with you, our, with our listeners. Folks, that is all the time we have this week. Next week Michael Pento will be with me for the first time and if he's available Dr. Quentin Henning of Noble Resources. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you.